all you take with you in heaven is love. And frankly, if there's no love in you, there's no place in heaven for you. And by the way, if you have just a drop of real love in you, hell can't contain you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab and the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, and since it's spooky season, I thought it would be the perfect time to share my interview with a real-life exorcist, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti. I think most people's perception of demons, exorcisms, possessions comes from the movies, and while a lot of those details are in fact true, I think the key thing that they miss is that performing exorcisms is an actual ministry of the church, meaning it's a way of caring for people's souls. It's a way of rescuing people from bondage. It's not primarily about going to battle with the devil. It's, it's primarily about bringing healing to people who have wounds that have been seriously preyed upon and infected by demonic influences. This conversation with Monsignor Rossetti, rather than being one that inspires fear, I think it's one that inspires hope. I think it's one that ultimately shares the message that God loves us and God's merciful. Um, and I think you'll, you'll be able to see that this is, in fact, a really needed ministry in our church today. If you're enjoying these conversations, I would love to hear from you. If you follow me on Instagram at The Crab and the Cross, you can leave a comment under each episode letting me know what you think. Same thing goes for YouTube. Find me on YouTube at The Crab and the Cross. Leave a comment under the video that corresponds with each episode, or you can leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And now, my conversation with Monsignor Rossetti. Monsignor Stephen Rossetti is the president of the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal and a research associate professor at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. He's been a priest for 38 years and has a doctoral degree in pastoral ministry as well as a Ph.D. in psychology. He has written numerous books on the priesthood, but his most recent book, Diary of an American Exorcist, details his work as an exorcist for the Archdiocese of Washington. Monsignor, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure. So I want to talk to you about... The psychology of evil, because I'm, I'm really intrigued by the fact that you're a priest, so obviously you're dealing with sin in the spiritual realm. You're also an exorcist, so you're dealing with the very supernatural aspects of evil, but you're also a psychologist, and so um, I've, I've always been fascinated by kind of the interplay between like the mind, I guess, and the spirit, uh, mm -hmm. and so I'm hoping to get your thoughts on some of those connections. Good. It's complicated, yeah. but it's uh, very helpful being a, a, psych, a psychologist because one of the first challenges is to discern the difference between someone who really has a demonic problem versus someone who simply has a psychological problem. And there can be a complex interaction uh, between the two. Right. Yeah. So one thing I want to know or have your thoughts on is, do you think that all people are born with like an equal capacity to do evil? Well, I mean that's that's a that's that's a complex question. Again, <laughs> uh, we all have free will, right. so we all can choose good or evil. Uh, so yes, we all have that that ability to do both. Now, I would say that some people uh, have more uh, 
uh, whole backgrounds, if you will. I mean, some people, I mean, for example, we have people come to us who are sadly are possessed. Uh, and like one, for example, her mother was a witch and her father was a Satanist. Oh gosh. You know, so, <laughs> so, but the Lord understands that, you know, so right. he, he, uh, he judges. That's why it's important for us not to judge other people because we don't know where they came from, but the Lord will certainly take into account that versus someone who grows up in a good Catholic family right. too much. I uh, have been given much more is expected, right. but you you can even see with her, you know, with a mother's witch or father's a Satanist, that the Lord's giving her special graces to fight against this. So it, it's quite a remarkable journey. Right. But I guess what about um, just kind of with the psychological makeup of someone and in, in, in the brain, you know, uh, for example, somebody who has the brain profile of like a, a psychopath or a sociopath, mm-hmm. you know, is that, in your opinion, is that a purely biological construct, or do you think there's always something spiritual uh, that can kind of activate those traits? Right. Well, it's uh, one thing I've learned is not to draw a, a black and white line okay. between the psyche and the spirit, because in reality, we're one person. Mm-hmm. And so what we do psychologically affects ourselves spiritually and vice versa. So they're really intertwined in one person. Uh, now, at times it's helpful to say, okay, this is more psychological, this is more spiritual. Right. But in the end, you can't uh, cut them in uh, uh, two different pieces. Right. Yeah, because um, I don't know, I, I guess I've heard uh, psychologists say around 1% of the population might have these psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies. And, and you can have somebody who's sort of a, I guess, a virtuous so psychopath in the sense that like they're not committing crimes uh they're just sort of going about their daily life but to me like the whole idea of of having empathy seems to be integral to the life of a christian and then it seems like there's these people who almost have an inability to to experience those kinds of of sentiments you know well that that's one of the very hallmark uh, symptoms of uh, sociopathy is that the person has no real ability to empathize. Right. Uh, and and typically people don't grow up and choose to be sociopaths. Typically they grow up in really ugly environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the signs of, of a sociopath is someone who is, as an adolescent, had uh, a conduct disorder of some sort. And, and that certainly comes from partly, at least from their upbringing. So again, these are, we can't judge individuals because we don't know what they went through and God in the, in the end judges these things. Right. But certainly some people have a greater capacity for empathy than others. Right. And some of us who have been, have been more blessed as I have been. And, and I suspect you have been in it. So we give God thanks for that. And we try to use the gifts the Lord has given to us. That's probably the, the, the basic notion is we, God has given each of us a set of gifts, and He expects us to use them as as best we can. Right? Have you seen people healed of various psychological disorders or tendencies? You know, especially extreme ones like borderline personality or sociopathy. Or do you more so help people to kind of, uh, I guess, work within the limitations they've been given psychologically? Normally, they that's normally we work within the limitations and we can help mitigate it somewhat. Now, if someone's got a borderline personality disorder, we're we're not going to you know wipe that away. Mm-hmm. But can we help the person manage it and deal with it? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we help someone who's who's got schizophrenia 
to take their medications and live a productive, a modestly productive life. Sure. So within all of our limitations, all of us have limitations. Can we, can we do the best we can to live a virtuous life? Sure. Sure. We can, you know, but, but it'll be different for, for different individuals, but there are times of course, when people do get healed. I mean, the Lord does heal people. We had this monthly uh, online deliverance session and uh, it's striking. We have, uh, we typically have 7,000 people register from around the wow. world. It's amazing. And and we do a, an hour deliverance prayer. And in that deliverance prayer, we pray for healing. And after the prayer, we get uh, scores of testimonies of people who have uh, experienced the healing. Some actually physical healings, healings wow. from real physical diseases, uh, psychological problems, so the, especially when people suffer from a kind of depression or anxiety, and the Lord really helps to heal that. Mm-hmm. Um, one woman said, you know, I've suffered all my life from anxieties. I get over, over amped by all this stuff. I've been praying for 20 years. And for the first time after this session, I feel a sense of peace. So mm-hmm. it's been an answer to a prayer. Wow. So as well as spiritual healing. So the Lord is generous and we're uh, pleased, grateful and stunned by, by what the Lord will do in terms of healing people. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's cool to think about just the, you know, the way we can pray in the 21st century that you can be on a, a video call across, you know, the internet no. and people are receiving these graces, you know. I mean, I guess I can pray for somebody and I don't even have to be on a video call with them, but um, that, that's cool to see that as a, as a sort of a, a means of spreading grace. Uh, well, you know, interesting. People say, well, you can't do that. Sure we can. Yeah. Uh, Father Gabriel Morth, the famous Roman exorcist, everybody knows, uh, he used to pray with people on the phone before really? the internet. Sure wow. he did. And when the Holy, for example, I have a friend who works in the Holy See, he said, when the Holy Father blesses you over the television, for example, mm-hmm. you receive a blessing. Now, you cannot receive sacraments uh, virtually, okay. but you can receive blessings and and sacramentals, like a blessing of grace, mm-hmm. which is what these deliverance sessions are. So, uh you know, it's easy to castigate the internet, and say how awful it is in terms of some of the negative addictions and whatever. But there's some wonderful uses of the internet, and and uh, these deliverance prayer sessions are are one of them. Yeah. What do you make of the fact that right now, for people um, viewing others doing evil acts is is kind of a big form of entertainment? So what I'm thinking of, for example, mm-hmm. is like true crime is a hugely popular entertainment field, you know, whether it's podcasts, documentaries, people love sitting down and watching a profile of a serial killer or a serial rapist or someone who's, you know, a real human being involved in these grave human uh, evils. What do you make of the fact that that's kind of a popular form of entertainment today? Well, we have to be careful. Obviously when you watch, I mean, I do watch television, but I try to be careful what I watch. You know, they say you are what you eat. You know, you, you what you take in every day is important. Uh, but I did have a guy who was uh, possessed, and he had uh, some addictions and sinful behaviors. In addition to that, he had this uh, unhealthy interest in sort of demonic stuff. And he would go around uh, these places that were, were especially infested. And he himself became possessed. So while... Uh, we we need to face the reality of evil, and, and and sometimes you'll you'll see shows or whatever would depict some evil actions, which you know happens. Uh, but 
But once you have an unhealthy connection with it and start really opening yourself up to it, it can have some real negative impacts on you. Right. I think for me, like I definitely do have an interest in in things like true crime. And I'm, I'm always trying to understand like how somebody could become that way. You know, like when I look at there, there are certain evils that I can understand, you know, if somebody, you know, any, any sin of the flesh, it's like, well, yeah, obviously I can see how that would be, you know, enticing to somebody. But a lot of these things, it's like, I, I don't even see the, the pleasure that could be derived, you know, from something like that. You should think about becoming a psychologist. <laughs> That's a typical psychologist thing. You, you yeah. become interested in people, yeah. you become interested in pathology. Right. And interesting, and what, interesting enough, I kind of like people who are cra- a little crazy. I mean, I right. kind of enjoy them. <laughs> So if you like that, sign up, take take (laughs) graduate courses in psychology, you know? Yeah, I just finished my master's in theology, so I need to take a break from school right now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, even like, for example, with, um, you know, there's the three temptations that Jesus goes through, and they're supposed Mm -hmm. to represent like the classic, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, uh, mm. and, and one of them is, is that, uh, that like lust for power, you know? And I don't yeah. know if it's just like, I'm lazy, but whenever I hear that, I'm like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to have power because that's too much work, you know, like to be in charge of everything. And so I, I always try to understand like, what is that thirst for power that, that grabs people so strongly? Mm. Well, we, and Jesus, of course, is just the opposite. Jesus emptied himself, yeah. took the form of a slave being born in the likeness of men, yeah. and thus he humbled himself, obediently accepting even death, death on the cross. Because of this, God highly exalted him. Yeah. We say these uh, kinds of uh, scripture passages in the midst of an exorcism drives the demons nuts. They can't stand, for example, the prologue of John's gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's so odious to them because they, right, grab for power, they grab for their pride, their arrogant. Uh, right. Whereas Jesus... And, and the perfect image of the Father um, is humble and and uh, and serves us. Right. Well, it's interesting. I don't know. Is there um is there like a personality model that you you favor, like you know Big Five or Myers Briggs or anything like that? <clears throat> well, most psychologists are a little bit eclectic. Yeah. We take a little bit of this. Little, like for example, I I use some psychodynamic theories. Uh-huh. I use some. Uh, cognitive behavioral theories. So I lose it. Depending on the, the diagnosis, and the situation, you adjust what works for that. So I think a good psychologist is uh, versed in several forms of therapy and is able to be flexible and apply what works. For example, depression, some of the, the latest cognitive behavioral therapies are most effective. Yeah. Uh, or for example, an addiction. I mean, if you have an alcoholic and you, and you say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do psychoanalysis with a, an alcoholic. So you have the, psych, the alcoholic lying on the couch and free associating. What you end up with is a free associating drunk. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's not going to work. Right. I mean, that, that's when we send them to the, I like that, like 12 step oh, yeah. work and addiction counseling and all that kind of stuff. So you need to, you need to adjust the, your therapy based on the, 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 the dynamics. Right. Well, I bring up personality psychology because you know, some of the models I've looked at, it seems like there are certain personality traits that are probably on some level inborn that seem to predispose people towards different or or certain kinds of evil. You know, for example, um, you know, somebody who might have a tendency towards power, they might be high in traits like extroversion. uh, They might be very low in traits like agreeableness, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I kind of wonder how much of our 
spiritual battles uh, or our struggles against sin are like rooted in our own personal psychology. Yeah, here, here's what I'd say. I remember studying way back when when I went to doctoral studies yeah. in psychology. Uh, some of the studies suggested that 50% of our personalities are, are biologically inherited. And mothers know this. You know, when they, when the kids are born, they'll, they're going to say instantly they they start to connect with their kids and they can sense that they're, they're different right from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, they say, "My, I knew this child was different than this child. They're different. They're all they're, they're different. So they say 50 percent of your personality structure is, you know, uh, biologically inherited. Now, the other 50 percent you can work on. But, yeah, I mean, I think the struggles that that I have, a lot of them will be based on. Uh, what I inherited in my DNA struggles that you have will be might be slightly different uh, because based on your DNA and then you add nature and nurture, you add your upbringing and pretty much by the time you're an adult, your personality structure is fairly set. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess it's interesting to me because I know as Catholics, we believe that, you know, God gives each person sufficient grace for salvation. Um, But it doesn't seem to me like people start off with kind of an equal hand, you know? Um, I mean, you know, yes, let's see. That's from our perspective. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> true. I mean, obviously the, the woman who his father was a Satanist that would, you know, right. but, or, but, but, and God's eyes know we're all, we're, we're he, God is just. Yeah. And uh, that's, again, I say we can't judge, but, but he, he knows, Yeah. he knows. And then he gives us the graces that we need. Uh, and in the end, you know, people say in salvation, you know, we come to know the Lord, come to know the Lord Jesus, and 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 we confess our sins and ask for His salvation. And but in the end, we're not saved because we're perfect. We're not perfect. We never will be. Mm. I can't save myself. Jesus saves me. So regardless of whether I'm a sociopath or a, a, a manic depressive, or I'm I'm much a little more intact, uh, I'm. We're all saved by God's mercy and God's grace, not, not because of what I do personally. Right. How do you square that with when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect? You know, are we, we're not supposed to be striving towards some kind of like whole perfection? Well, it depends what you mean by perfection. I actually think that he meant it just like he said. Some people say, well, he really didn't mean that. No, I think he really meant it. Yeah, but yeah. but I think there's a, a perfection is, here's, a, here's how I think of it. Now everybody's different, but, uh, to learn to love, you know that uh, to 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 heaven, God is love, as John's Gospel tells us. And heaven, some of the mystics have said, all you take with you in heaven is love. And frankly, if there's no love in you, there's no place in heaven for you. And by the way, if you have a, just a drop of real love in you, hell can't contain you. Hell can't contain you. So. You know, it's like we we learn to to love. You know, in a real Christian sense, not just like you know, I love my I love my uh, yeah, I love my cup of coffee in the morning. Right, no, right, no, right, a real right. Christian love. I mean, when you learn to love, regardless of who you are, that your God has touched you in a real way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like I don't know. I, I guess I feel like deep down, most people have some kind of you know sense of love, whether it's for their their children, their spouse. You know, like there, there's some like root of compassion in each person. Um, 
but that almost makes it sound like, well, then there's kind of a universalism with salvation. Like, well, everybody has, I mean, you know, most people have well, it's, it's true. I mean, Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, we, even the church teaches this, that one, of course, does not have to be Catholic to be saved. Right. But we we believe and profess that this is the true church, that the church that Jesus founded, and that the pure uh, sacraments and faith are present in its fullness in the Catholic Church. But, as St. Augustine said, there are plenty of people who could profess to be, you know, good Christians or not. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of people who do not profess to be good Christians, but actually are. Well, the group that has always impresses me are like these missionaries, these medical missionaries that go to Africa, places like that, and they spend their lives, and then many die, yeah. you know, serving, uh, serving the health needs of of people and 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 sacrifice. What could be more Christian than that? Oh yeah. What could be more Christian than that? No, I know. I have a friend who, um, you know, not a Christian home at all. Probably considers herself to be somewhat agnostic. But her 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 job that she voluntarily chose to do is to serve in uh, group homes of people who are severely mentally handicapped, yeah. and and she loves it too. And she loves just taking them you know, on their little errands throughout the day. And she's not at all bothered by whether they have tantrums or, you know, having yeah, to change adult diapers and all that. And, and it amazes me because I'm thinking like, wait a second, I have the grace of the sacraments and I don't think I could do that. Like yeah. how, how, how does it square that somebody who to our, like seemingly has no access to these uh, supernatural right. graces is able to do these tremendous works of love? Oh, it's a very, very inspiring, but I would say, uh, the important thing is, is that we respond to the the life that God's called for us. You're married, you're single, you're religious, you're priest, whatever. You know, we've all got a path the Lord has. So I I don't try to be somebody else. I try yeah. to just try to be me. What what God wants me to be me. Right. And but my best my best me, and that's transformed into some way the spiritual image of Jesus, and He gives me the grace to do that in my own life. Yeah. So you were a diocesan priest, and then you ended up going through to get a PhD in psychology. So were you expecting to take a very different trajectory going in, or did you think, oh, I'm just going to be a a parish priest? Well, you know, uh, it's interesting. uh, If some, you know, they always say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Uh, I never really had any plans. I I just sort of followed where I thought the spirit was leading, and I, and I, I hope it's been, I mean, I I pray it's been uh, uh, God's will, but although I love that prayer by Thomas Burton, which I find consoling, yes. Lord, I do not know if what I'm doing is pleasing to you, but I know that my desire to please you is itself pleasing to you. So I'm trying. I'm trying to say, okay, Lord, I, I want to do your will. I want to. I want to follow your spirit, and and please help me do that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Um... Were you surprised when, I guess, about 15 years ago, you got pulled into this exorcism ministry, or was there kind of a natural trajectory to that? Well, here's what happened. Uh, as you say, I'm a psychologist, so the uh, the archdiocese, the, the cardinal, basically asked me to do a psychological evaluation of someone who said they needed an exorcism. Mm-hmm. And I did the psychological evaluation. I said, mm, problem doesn't look psychological. I think you need to call an exorcist. Mm-hmm. And so they asked three different priests to do it with the exorcism and they all said no so i'm sitting down with the vicar general the the, the auxiliary bishop and he's saying well what do we do now <laughs> well, i said well i said i'm not kind of stupid i said well uh, give it to me i said how hard can it be 
<laughs> right. So that's what I thought. That was really stupid, but that's the Lord leads. So, so that's that's what started it, and ever I've been doing it ever since. Wow. Do, does it make a difference whether the person performing it is a priest or a bishop or the pope? Like, is there, you know, does it work better? <laughs> Basically, what we say is, you know, uh, when a priest prays, see, when he's given the faculties, so the, the, the bishop gives me the faculties to be the exorcist. When I pray, I pray in the name of the church. So it's the church praying. Just like when a priest stands at the altar, it could, it could be a horrible sinner, and some are. Uh, but he, he, it's the church and Jesus who are acting. So I'm acting in persona Christi, and, and also it's the church acting. Now, does it help to be a, a holy? Uh, well, yeah, I think it does. I mean, especially <laughs> when we talk about sacramentals, yeah. which is what the rite of exorcism is not a sacrament. It's a sacramental. So the, 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 the actions of the person receiving are important. And, and hopefully the, the, the holiness of priests is important. But again, fundamentally, what I tell new exorcists is it's the, the, the power of the church that Jesus given to the church and, and using its, its formal rite of exorcism, its formal prayer that it authorizes. That's what casts them out. Yeah. Have you ever worked with um, like a rabbi that does exorcisms or anyone from another religion? Uh, just about every, actually, interestingly enough, just about every religion has some belief in evil and yeah. some exorcistic form. The Jews did, yeah. Although, and the the Islam and and in Eastern sure, I mean, the, the, lots of different religions. Uh, I've worked with individuals uh, or Protestant ministers who someone would typically go to them and and they said, "Well, you really, I, I, I." It's not working. You need to see a Catholic priest. Wow. I think there is a sort of a recognition that uh, if you're possessed, I mean, in the end, you, you should see a Catholic priest. Right. Well, it's interesting because in the gospel, when Jesus sends out the 72 and he says, you know, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, presumably that's before, well, it's before his crucifixion. So presumably that's before sacramental baptism. So these are people who are, uh, just various Jewish leaders, you know, what we would call like a an ordinary layperson going out and presumably doing exorcisms. Well, they were they were disciples of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so, and he authorized his disciples. He he said, I he basically I gave them the authority to do this. So that that's important. Now, today in today's church, who has the authority to cast out demons? Well, here's the first thing I would say. 80% probably of uh, problems with demonic stuff can be resolved without ever seeing a Catholic priest, I would say. Maybe more. If you if you go to confession, you receive the sacraments, you say, maybe say deliverance prayers yourself. You can say prayers over your own body. You have authority to do that. And you live a holy life. You know, most of the time, you know, after some time, you, you'll be freed. Mm -hmm. Only in the, the, the sort of most difficult of cases, uh, do you need to see a priest? So that's the first thing I tell people: don't don't rush too fast here. Priest, start go to confession, yeah. go to church, practice <laughs> yeah. of faith. You know, Jesus will cast out the demons most of the time. Yeah, with all the different sacramentals, you know, whether it's holy water, exorcism salts, various right. medals, Saint Benedict medals, is there ever a danger in becoming almost superstitious about using those things, or do you think that that's you know just 
you know, there's, there's no limit to how much you can use those things. No, very, no, very important. The question is how we use them. Yeah. Uh, the difference with you see, this is, this is the mistake people make today. Well, a huge mistake. People are practicing a lot of magic today in witchcraft. Yeah. First of all, some people say, well, I'm a good witch. I say, and I say, no, you're just a witch. There's no such thing as good witchcraft. When you're doing magic, it's strictly prohibited. It's a violation of the first commandment in a huge way. And we find that those who do witchcraft and magic, they have some pretty tough demonic issues and are very hard to, to, to get to cleanse. They've been doing it for a while. Yeah. So, and they, but their approach is some sort of magic. You know, they say, I use this right little ritual, the right words, and magically I get the result. That's magic. That's not what we do. And by the way, the way they get their power from, if they, if they do have any, it's from demons. They, mm-hmm. They don't realize that. I'm, I'm, no, yeah, you are. You don't realize it, but you're invoking the demonic. However, as we, as Christians and Catholics, no, no, we're not. We don't. This is not magic. Yeah. Well, when we use those sacraments, we 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 use the right formula, of course, because Christ has asked us to do this, and He promises He will give us His graces when we do this. So it's God's promise in Jesus, and that is our act of faith. So when we use, say, crucifixes, holy water, it's it's a prayer. It's an act of faith in the Lord. The Lord will bless us. It's not a magic ritual. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the steps that ordinary Catholics who don't explicitly dabble in anything occult can take to protect themselves against well, in addition to things I mentioned, they yeah. should also, as you imply, using sacramentals. Yeah. I mean, having your house blessed, having holy water. For example, putting a little holy water font, which I did for my mom before she passed on. We we had that on the door. So when she walked in, she could bless herself with holy water, which is nice. Uh, putting blessed crucifixes over your bed, which is nice. Having pictures of the saints right next to the house next door to mine. The woman has a nice statue of Our Lady in her backyard, yeah, and she yeah. sits on her swing set and prays before the statue. You know, it's nice. Yeah. So having those sacramentals, as we call them, are, are, are great, and they're graces. Right. Absolutely. Um, do you think it's bad for children to dress up as? like witches for Halloween or even like Glenda the Good Witch from the Wizard of Oz, you know, is that a dangerous? I don't recommend it. I okay. mean, uh, if, if you really knew how ugly and evil witchcraft is and how evil demons are, you wouldn't be so glib about it. Right. You know, you wouldn't be so glib, you know. I'm going to dress up like Jack the Ripper. I don't <laughs> think so. I want you to know that dressing up like a demon is a lot worse than that. So I think I know one family that uh, they celebrate by Halloween, but they dress the kids up to their favorite saint. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, or my my brother used to send his daughter out dressed as a pumpkin. (laughs) Well, that was, he used to call her that as a nickname, you know, a little fun nickname. He would call him as her little pumpkin, you know, so that was nice. But uh, I wouldn't do the witchcraft thing. The, the, the demons. Uh, no, I think I think we we underestimate how awful sin and evil is. Yeah. Don't trivialize it. Right. Well, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about people liking evil as a form of entertainment. I think Halloween taps into that where there's something about our, our maybe our I don't know if it's our human nature or our fallen nature where we like to explore what frightens us. You know, mm-hmm. like people 
like to watch horror movies. They like to, I mean, I don't know if you've seen, like, Halloween decorations are crazy now. Like, people go all out for Halloween way more than Christmas. And mm. there's something, I don't know what it is, that there's something. You got to be of, careful. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be careful. Um, for example, uh, one thing I've found uh, inspiring in some way is to uh, read the writings of famous Catholic mystics mm. like uh, Catherine of Siena, Teresa of Avila, St. Faustina, that sort of thing. And uh, and while these are private revelations and they're not de fide from the church, but, the, but these people are canonized saints, so we can put some stock in what their experiences are. St. Gemma Gangani, many of them have, have had images or, or visions of hell. And when you read about that, it kind of curls your eyelash. You go, wow. Yeah. And then you really, and then Jesus said that that weeping and wailing, grinding of teeth. When you realize how awful evil is and how awful hell and all that stuff is, you should, you start to realize I shouldn't be, again, I shouldn't trivialize this stuff. You know, this is, this is serious stuff. Right. Yeah. I think there's a temptation to put it all into the realm of fiction, you know, that villains are just fictional characters. And so, the heights and depths of evil are, are just something we have in our imagination versus something that's really out there in the world. You know, remember what sister, I think it's sister Faustina who said uh, that she said that the seven sufferings of hell, one of them, which she said was a vision of Satan. He said, you would rather suffer all the sufferings of the world rather than have one glimpse, one millisecond glimpse of how evil and awful Satan is. And yeah, and I, I, I'm sure that's true. Wow. 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 Um, well, there's a lot I could ask you about, but I want to close with one question. I found out from some friends that you train jujitsu. Uh, Kung Fu. Oh, Kung, Kung Fu. Fu. Oh, okay. I, I got excited when they said that because I've been doing jiu-jitsu for a couple months now. And I was like, oh, man, I got to talk to the exorcist who does jiu-jitsu. Well, I was in Taiwan for two years in the military. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And so they, there was a, a Chinese guy. Actually, it was Japanese. And uh, he was in Taiwan. And he trained us for a couple of years in gung, kung fu. Gung yeah. fu yeah. yeah. And it was nice. It was nice. We didn't involve ourselves in any sort of Eastern religion. Right. But it was a self-defense, yeah. you know, martial art. And, and uh it was kind of, it, I, it was helpful, you know? Yeah. Do you still practice that at all? No, no, no that, that's a long time <laughs> you ago. You do Kung Fu against the demons, right? It's a no, little yeah. different. Well, I, actually, I'm just a coward. I stick Jesus on them. Jesus There you coward. go. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned like the Eastern spirituality. Do you think it's, people have to be careful too about getting involved with martial arts? Well, I mean, uh, there's a difference between studying a martial art, which is fine, mm -hmm. versus a sort of engaging in an Eastern religion. And I had someone recently who was practicing uh, an Eastern religion, and she actually was was, was uh, semi possessed, had some demonic issues. Yeah. So we don't worship pagan deities, and she was worshiping pagan deities. Oh wow! And many times, if not all the time, pagan deities are actually demons. Sure. So she was worshiping demons. So I love gung fu, and I, and I loved a lot of the Eastern whatever, but I but I don't worship pagan deities. You got to draw a line somewhere. Right. Yeah, that's what's nice about jiu-jitsu is it's Brazilian, and so it kind of has gotten away from any connections to other spiritualities. So it's mm -hmm. primarily just about the physical art mm -hmm. of, of whether it's self-defense or 
Just well, even when you do some meditation, whenever time I do any meditation, even when I was in, living in the Orient, uh, I would always begin my prayer opening my heart to Jesus and Mary. So, you know, rather than chanting some, you know, or, uh, Eastern religion names, I'd pray in the name of Jesus and pray in the name of Mary. So that's the key. I mean, we have a long history of meditation, but it's it's done in a Christian way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned that you can give blessings over uh, the internet. So can we close with you giving a blessing to me and any of the I listeners? I would be happy to. And now all those who are listening, let us let us pray. God is generous. Let us, let us all pray. First of all, I want all of you to think about the graces you'd like to receive, the intentions perhaps for loved ones uh, that are suffering or need some help. Let's bring those before the Lord, these needs and intentions. I ask the Blessed Mother to spread her mantle over each and every one of you, protecting you always and ushering you into the kingdom of light. I ask that the holy angels surround you, as the powers of heaven to protect you and guide you and your guardian angels as well. I ask the blood of Jesus to wash over all of you, wash you over your hearts, over your minds, over your whole being, cleansing, purify, sanctify. In the name of Jesus, may you all be healed. In the name of Jesus, may you all be at peace. And may Almighty God bless you all. Lift any curses that may be against any one of you, generational curses, any sort of curses passed down that should be lifted against all of you. Any demonic presences be lifted and cast out. May you all be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And may you go forward living always in the Lord's love and the Lord's peace. May Almighty God bless you all, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. It's been a pleasure. Listen, God bless you and your important ministry and, uh, and everyone you. out there. Yeah.